the one thing that I do with my clients that I say, if you're going to take anything out of my coaching is that every single day you take five minutes in the morning to meet yourself the first thing, because the energy in the morning is the most potent energy of the day. And so if we're giving it away to our email, if we're giving it away to our phone, if we're giving it away to anything, like that is the, the most beautiful energy. And so if you're going to do anything for the rest of your life, it is spending that first five minutes to meet your soul, to meet yourself. And the rest will slowly fall into place. Welcome to Modern Happiness, where we believe happiness is a choice. Our goal is to share how we and our high-performing guests choose happiness, covering topics such as fitness, mindset, relationships, business, and much more in today's world. Here are your hosts, Matt Mahalik and Taylor Sleaford. What's up, happiness homies? It is Matt here, and we are so excited to have Teresa Giglio on the podcast this week. Um, it was such a pleasure to have her on because she really embodies everything we try and talk about and teach you guys on this podcast week after week. Specifically, if you've ever felt like you've been stuck in a rut or there's something major holding you back, uh, Teresa's story is a great example of how you can really turn things around and start to live the life that you truly love. So if that does resonate with you, you're really going to love this episode. A little bit about Teresa. She is a certified recovery coach, yoga teacher, and entrepreneur. Teresa helps teen, college students, and young adults reach their physical, mental, and spiritual goals. She focuses on a holistic and soul-centered approach to healing. Her own recovery journey has paved the way to help her build her own business called The Warrior Within, which has helped thousands of people receive the love, support, and resources they need to live their best and fullest life. And I think that's something that Teresa has shown in this episode. Uh, She says it at the very end, too. Um, Love. A lot of us need to just be showing up with more love. And like I said before, uh, she embodies so much of what we teach here on Modern Happiness and what we talk about. And she said it, and she says it in such a beautiful way uh, that I was just, I was raptured in this conversation. And I really loved having this conversation with Teresa. And I know you guys will too. So without further ado, here is Teresa Giglio. What is up, happiness homies? Welcome back. We have a exciting episode today. Our friend and guest, Teresa Giglio. Mm-hmm. Teresa, how are you doing? I'm doing good. How are you? Wonderful. Yeah. Matt, Deuce, how are we feeling? I'm also doing really, really good. <laughs> feeling <Same>. good today. <laughs> really, really good. Awesome. Okay, we're going to start off with some rapid fire. Okay. Just to preface, maybe not to rapid fire, just however you feel like answering them. Okay, cool. Give, give the audience a chance to get to know you a little bit better. Um, so, Teresa, what is one thing you are grateful for? Um, I'm grateful for this very moment to be able to connect with friends and people and get to share my message, my story to hopefully maybe help someone. Yes. Hell yes. Mm. All right. Switching gears. <laughs> what What is your most used emoji? Ooh, it's between the crying, like googly eyes, because I'm definitely like a sensitive, crying person. <laughs> Um, and then like the like weird like sticking your tongue out and like the eyeballs look up those those both those <laughs> nice yeah that's that's the good balance you actually had that in your you know in the form we sent you um, which I might ask about but um, taking life seriously but also not taking life seriously mm-hmm. so I think those emojis are perfectly in line with that totally yeah yeah, nice. yeah I see it for sure 
Okay, what is your walk-up song? Ooh, walk-up song. It definitely changes on the vibe, like what I'm feeling in the moment. Um, I would say old school Kanye, like oh, fuck. it's oh, yeah. just like hits hits home. It hits a like spot in my heart to get like pumped up and amped. Um, and then I would say, yeah, I could go anything from like super instrumental to, you know, just like I feel like music for me brings out some of the feelings that I'm not conscious of. And so when I play a certain song, it can kind of instigate that feeling to either like pass through my body or enhance an experience or an emo- uh, emotion in the moment. Wow. Love that. Yeah. Damn. Yeah. I'm totally on the same wavelength with that. Especially we had this conversation a few episodes ago, um, doing sober October mm. and I was, went to two Dave Matthews concerts, uh, and sober and just being so present with, uh, the lyrics and kind of letting it, yeah, like, oh, he would say stuff, and I'd be like, oh, my God. Yes, I needed to hear that mm-hmm. in this moment. So I love that. Uh, what is your favorite book? Ooh, I have so many. I would say my top favorite book is The Body Keeps the Score by Vandernock. Um, just because I read that in a time where I really needed to hear the messages in the book. I was about 19, and the book's all about how our trauma is stored in the tissues in our body and how – different things um, can really help release all of these stuck in grain patterns, but it uses science to explain, you know, meditation, how the brain works, how we get triggered, like what our brain is doing in every single moment. And I think that that book is always a resource I go back to if I need to kind of have more compassion for this human experience and what's happening on a physiological, but also like emotional level. Nice. That's awesome. If, if I may, our rapid fires are just, you know, we just kind of sometimes go off the rails, but, um, I've, I've heard this, this is the third time now where I've heard about like your trauma or whatever being stored in the body. And Mm -hmm. you said in your tissue or your nervous, you said, yeah, like the trauma stored in the tissues. Yeah. This one person, the last one I heard was like a lot of it stored in your hips. Mm -hmm. That's why a lot of people have hip pain. Totally. And, uh, just, you know, speaking about coincidences, like, okay, this is the third time I've heard that in a pretty short period of time. Mm -hmm. So just me being aware of that, and I just wanted to call that out. Totally. This is definitely yeah. a sign from the universe. This is like the fifth time I've somebody has mentioned Body Keeps the Score. Mm-hmm. I think it was like two months ago, one of my mentors uh, sent a podcast with the author to this group uh, that I'm in. And I started I started listening to it, but it was like pretty dry. He just like totally. – and I was like – I looked up the book, and I was like, okay, this sounds good, but I just like didn't dive into it. And like in the past week, mm-hmm. you're like the fourth person at least, so – I'll give you my copy. Let's go. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, okay. What did you want to be when you grew up? Ooh. Um, when I was little, I wanted to be a marine biologist um, just because I love dolphins. And I thought they were, like, so cool. And I always wanted to be a doctor and work in the field. And even when I was little, all the work that I did was very servi- service-oriented, like wanting to help people, wanting to make a change, wanting to make a difference in the world. Um, so at, like, six, that started as, like, a marine biologist and working with all the little sea animals. <laughs> Love it. That's awesome. And now you're doing it. You're helping people. Mm-hmm. It's awesome. Uh, what is your superpower? Ooh, what is my superpower? I would say like I aspire to just be a hundred percent authentically me, mm-hmm. um, which is being vulnerable in moments where it's super tough to be vulnerable and, you know, just showing up exactly how I am in this moment. Um, And then also I would say the balance of that is that warrior energy of like being strong and like tackling life while at the same time, like being so true to myself is kind of what I hope 
my superpower or what I aspire to be because I think that just through our presence, we can inspire people to be their best version of themselves. But if I can't access that within, then I can't give that. Yes, I love that. I, since we're on the topic, I'm sure we'll backtrack, maybe go through your story a bit. <laughs> but I think that's something almost maybe that's become like a buzzword or whatever, like be authentically yourself. And I talk about it too. And I totally believe that if you can be your best self, um, then you inspire others to be them, their best selves and to live a better life. Uh, and you do this for, for work. So how can someone who's maybe hearing this going, I don't know who that is. Mm-hmm. How can someone get in touch with that? Totally. I think, you? I think it's being really honest, right? First, it's like, you have to take radical responsibility for who you are, your story, what's happened to you and do that inner work. And I think for me, like from a young age, I definitely adopted a lot of coping mechanisms to just survive and feel a sense of belonging. And so that was being able to be a chameleon in a room and adapt mm-hmm. to whoever someone wanted me to be and wear all these masks and all these different things. But I never knew who Teresa was at her core. And so I think it's starting to ask yourself those deeper questions. It's starting to explore those parts that maybe we've hidden in the shadow that we've <coughs> rejected um, and start to claim them. Like I think for me, a lot of it is claiming the deepest parts of myself that I fear the most and knowing that those parts of me make the light, make you know the laugh and all that stuff be there, but we can't, we can't have one without the other. So if we're rejecting parts of us, then we're not showing up in our whole self. Mm. Yeah, I love that. And I think the question still remains, uh, what are those deeper questions? Mm-hmm. You know, because I, I, I would love to know kind of how you take people through this because um, right now in my program, I have a lot of moms mm-hmm. who don't want to be just moms. Totally. They want to be themselves, right? They want to yeah. be this other person outside of just the identity of a mom or a husband. Mm-hmm. So what are those questions they can ask themselves? Who? That's a that's a big one. <laughs> I know, loaded. I know, we dove right loaded in. Loaded question. <laughs> um, okay, let me let me think for a second. I think I'll give you an example to try to make it a little bit more comprehensible. So when I was starting this journey of being an entrepreneur, um, I was really scared to put myself out there. I was really scared to um, just state my truth, state what was on my mind, use my gifts, and be able to create something out of that. Because again, these old stories told me that I wasn't enough, there's something wrong with me, you know, people don't like you and you're gonna get rejected. And so once I started to know like, whoa, like my heart, like there's this pull to wanna create and wanting to do and wanting to build, but all of these stories are getting in the way from me actually taking action. And so a mentor of mine at the time was just like, anytime you feel that pull, anytime you feel that urge to do something, like just fucking do it. Mm. Like just go for it regardless of what happens and be willing to fail a million times, be willing to get rejected, be willing, you know, for people not to like you. And like, and she said something and it was, um, if people aren't, if people don't like you, then you're not being authentic. Like you're gonna have people in this lifetime not like you, not agree with you, not agree with your values, not understand. And it's like, you, we have to be okay with not being perfect, with not having everybody love us or like us because we love ourselves so internally that that truth doesn't sway regardless of what's happening externally. Mm. But it's so scary, Teresa. Yeah. <laughs> it's scary to, to, you know, in my example, to maybe put up a post that mm-hmm. might ruffle feathers and to take a stance on something. Totally. Knowing that my brother or my good friend might not agree with it. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to upset them because I love them. Totally. 
it's, it is. And it's like, we have to train our brains. Like, because if you think about it, our brains are wired for fight or flight. It's wired to look at negative biases. It's wired to see the threat outside. And so an Instagram post, right? Like to our brains, that's a threat of like, oh my gosh, if I post this, I might not belong to my tribe. Mm. People might reject me. And so when you have consciousness, when you have awareness of that's what's happening internally, we're teaching our brain every time we do something that's uncomfortable that we actually are safe. And so we have to sometimes just go out and do it and teach our bodies, teach our brains that like it's okay to expand. It's okay to, you know, own our truth. And even if people don't agree with us, yeah, that our body literally like thinks that that's unsafe, right? Like if someone rejects us, if someone, if we go through a breakup or whatever, like our body is literally feeling like it's being hurt, that it's being threatened. And so when we can build our container, if we can sort of build our nervous system to be able to expand and hold much more space for being uncomfortable, then the other, you know, stuff can, can come out of that, that growth, that expansion, all that. Yeah. I love it. It's practice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we have these ingrained beliefs. Um, I heard this example from actually my mentor, but if it was like, we use the mom example again, if this parent thinks building a business mm-hmm. takes a lot of work and takes a lot of time, mm-hmm. but they want to build this business so that they can spend more time with their kids. Those are conflicting beliefs and the belief that you have to spend a lot of time in your business is the exact belief that's stopping you from building your business Mm -hmm. because you want to build a business to have more time with your family. Mm -hmm. So that's one example, but it's, it's those beliefs that are like stopping us from exactly what we want. Totally. And it's so unconscious, right? It's like 95% of the time our brain is running on unconscious behavior that is developed between the ages of zero to seven. And so really only 5% of the time we're accessing our conscious mind, which is desire, want, you know, doing all that kind of stuff. But literally every decision we make, every person we surround ourselves is usually because there's an unconscious pattern. And if those patterns, if your development from the ages of zero to seven, if there was a lot of things where you might have developed limiting self-beliefs, then you have to retrain your brain and your body out of that and step into who you actually truly are in this lifetime and meant to do and meant to give and um, receive. Damn. Awesome. I love that. Taylor, I'll keep going. So when I'm <laughs> Okay. Uh, I, so, Teresa, I would love to dive into your story. We, You and I met at an apple orchard. Yeah. And there was a horse there. That's cute as fuck. I'm so jealous. I know. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was mutual friends. And there was a horse there. And we're all kind of petting the horse. And Teresa just turns over to us and is like, guys, did you know that a horse's nervous system is the closest to a human's nervous system? And we just talked about that a little bit and there's like horse therapy and it can help regulate like emotions and things like that. And I remember just being kind of caught off guard and I was like, do you just know random facts about horses <laughs> or like, what do you do? I need to know more. And then that's when she dove into what she does and she's a recovery coach and an entrepreneur and yoga and this big background. And we ended up getting coffee uh, the next week and I got to learn your story mm-hmm. and it's incredible. So I, I think what's cool, we obviously already dove into a lot of interesting topics. You're going to drop more knowledge bombs. Mm -hmm. But I think one thing that's cool as I've gotten to know you is not just do you have the experience, but you've your story, you've lived it. Like Mm -hmm. you have real world experience, which I think is something a lot of people miss because you're 25. So relatively younger. I know you've you've started three businesses at this point. Mm -hmm. Um, So maybe if you could just walk us through kind of the condensed version. I know we dove way deep the other day, but um, 
you know, how did you get to where you are now and doing the work that you're doing? Totally. Yeah. I'll give you a, a really fast version of it, um, of my story. So I was born into a household affected by addiction and mental health. Um, and so that was kind of what I knew to be true from a very young age is, um, you know, seeing that in the environment I grew up with and then struggling with it within myself. Um, and so, you know, by, I just remember kind of being four years old and sugar was like, I call it like my first drug, my first thing where I knew that I could hack my body. I could find comfort in something outside myself to feel safe. And so I'd be like a little kid, like climbing on the counters to like grab the cookies. Um, because I knew when I had that cookie, it was like all that pain, all of that discomfort for that millisecond went away. And then that kind of progressed um, when, as I got older, looking for things outside myself to feel okay, to feel wholeness. Um, and so, you know, by the age of 11, I'm struggling with like self-harm, uh, suicidal ideation. Um, then I found uh, by 14, that kind of shifted into an eating disorder and really struggling with um, food, using that as a way to control, as a way to hurt myself, um, a way to find comfort. Um, and that was kind of my thing. And then once I found drugs and alcohol by 14, um, kind of it shifted into that. And from 14 to 18, um, you know, I got, I got sober by the time I was 18, but from 14 to 18, again, it was using things outside myself to feel okay and using relationships and all of that because I didn't know who Teresa was and at my core my beliefs back then was that I'm broken there's something wrong with me I shouldn't exist nobody loves me and so finding things you know to just survive just to exist and to be um and have that little bit of comfort and soothing but by 18 it reached a point where it I wasn't going to make it much longer I wasn't going to have many years um if I kept going at the rate that I was going and so I always say it was like my first moment of grace um, where I was a freshman at college and, you know, going to the gym 3 a.m. till 7 a.m., just like needing to exercise, just not, you know, abusing food um, in a super toxic relationship and all that kind of stuff. And it was just like I hit this wall and I um, ended up, I was, uh, so I was pre-med because again, from when I was little, I had this one thing, like no matter what, if I just make it through, you know, my, my childhood, I just get out of this town. If I just do this stuff, um, I'm going to be a doctor and I'm going to help people and I'm going to be able to like build the life I've always wanted and like leave all of that behind. And so I really, um, academically, even when all this was going on, like I like thrived academically. I was just going at it, doing all the things. Cause I was like, I need to get into a good school so I can go pre-med. Um, same thing athletically, like athletics back then, were probably the biggest gift and the biggest outlet of having that team um, and also that thing to feel confidence to feel self-worth um, was found a lot in athletics um, growing up and so by 18 again I got into a really amazing school and I'm pre-med and we're with the top of the top of everybody's class and I'm on the bottom I'm on the bottom of the food chain and I just didn't know who I was because the only sense of identity was through athletic academics and all that kind of stuff and all that was ripped away and I was just left with me um and I didn't like me at that point and so at 18 um in my college dorm it was um I just had this moment where I'm again using all these things I don't even like I can't recognize myself in the mirror and this little like voice comes in 
and it just says like Teresa you need to get help and it was so quiet and it was so loving and it just comes in and it's like you, you you're not going to make it much longer and so and that was the first time that I actually was attuned enough or aware enough to listen to that voice because I truly believe that voice has been there for me through every experience since I was born but I was finally conscious enough to be able to listen to it and was like whoa like like I can't keep doing this and so that's when I made a decision to go away and receive support and help to really deal with a lot of the traumas and to um, you know start to build that relationship with myself because I didn't know who I was I didn't know what I wanted to do um, and I got sober and so that was from like 18 to 19 was like focusing on my recovery and my sobriety and all that kind of stuff. Um, and then going back to school and getting accepted into this amazing school called Watson University, which is the social entrepreneurship incubator where you go in with a idea and build that business for two years. And so I ended up uh, doing the two year program and leaving having built uh, two businesses. One failed, one was like kind of going, all that kind of stuff. Um, and then once I graduated, I decided, you know, what, like I need to be an entrepreneur. Like entrepreneur is like great, but I don't have enough experience at this age to know what the needs are in business, to understand the environment, how everything's working, and I need to like work in the field. And so that's kind of when I decided to take a couple years to really work in as much businesses as possible through different angles, different industries, and really get my feet dirty, like, and just hustle and grind, like, right after college, and that's kind of what I did um, up until about a year ago when COVID hit and everything, you know, I was working at an amazing job at the Collegiate Recovery Center out in Boulder, Colorado, and I loved my job, um, but I always knew internally, like, it was really hard for me to work a nine-to-five, but I just did it because I loved the students, um, I loved the experience, um, but was always building these things on the side. Um, even when I was at any job, it was like I was creating different things. And then June of last year, I decided to go full force um, building my uh, business called The Warrior Within to help teens and college students get access to uh, resources to help them heal from various addictions and mental disorders and stuff. <laughs> Okay, okay. <laughs> I want to I want to touch on some things because this is definitely the short version yeah, of yeah. this story. Do you know how hard I'm it was to cry. not jump in and ask questions? There's, uh, I know. Well, there's so many there's so many other things. Okay, so just because I know some of the story. So your freshman year of college, mm -hmm. you dropped out mm -hmm. to get recovery. You went to Hawaii. Yeah, I went to oh, Hawaii shit. for and what was that? That was like a recovery a, retreat type thing. Yeah, it's a wilderness therapy program, and so you know. I was like, oh, Hawaii, like, sick. Like, how bad could it be? Like, you know, wilderness therapy, like, all that kind of stuff. And you get there, and it's – my mind was just blown in the sense of they don't tell you how long you're going to be there because it's part of, like, the surrendering. And so people have been there 90 days, 120 days, and I was told I was going to be there for six weeks, and I was going to, like, get out, um, go back to school. I was in a relationship at the time, like, you know, like, being that with um, that person, and I had all of these – my life was very linear of the things I need to do, where I need to be, and the time frame from which that needs to be achieved. And so wilderness was kind of the first place where, like, that was all thrown out the window. And I just had to learn how to be, let go, and surrender to exactly what was happening in the moment. Um, and meet other people who are also, like, I always thought I was kind of alone in the things that I struggled with. Like, again, I thought 
I, there was so much shame around the things that I did to cope as a young person because I knew those were bad, but I didn't have any other options and I didn't have the education or resources to be able to choose another way of doing things and living things. And so I had to sort of confront a lot of that shame, a lot of that unworthiness um, there. And, you know, I continue to do that every single day, but that was kind of the first place, the first container where I could really start diving in. So how long were you there? 96 days. 96. <laughs> okay, so then after that... Wait, hold on. Before you go past that, I'm so curious, because when you're telling the story, this moment where this little voice says, Teresa, you need to get help. Mm-hmm. And you're like, okay, I'm finally listening to this voice. What's that process like to be like, for one, to listen to it, but then to be like, okay, where do I get help? Where do I even start? Right? Because people might have that voice mm-hmm. inside their heads or like maybe working the nine to five that they hate and like something needs to change. Where do I go? Like, how do I know what the right next step is? Totally. Uh, that's a great question. I think, again, if we, how do I explain this in a way that, Okay. So if we look at the research and the science for all successful entrepreneurs, there's one thing in common, which is that it's calculated risk. Mm -hmm. So everybody can take risks to, again, jump into that deep end. But it's never like this full like force of like, I'm just going to go in like this is going to be great. It's everything is calculated risk. And so if you think about, okay, that inner voice came in, I would not have been able to act upon it if I didn't calculate ways to feel that safety and that grounding so for me what that looked like was like all right I called the program like you know talked to someone about it understood what was happening in the back of my head I had this plan of like six weeks boom 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 gonna get out gonna go back to school gonna finish my degree like take summer classes and be on track and so just that false sense of security in a way of me having a plan b allowed me to be able to step into the unknown and also I think through the work that I've done and through the observance of these last years is like we cannot do it alone Mm -hmm. and so we have to have our teachers that we look up to we have to have friends um, who support us and can push us to do the things that we might be scared to do and so really community um, and having someone older wiser or however you want to explain it Mm -hmm. be able to guide you on this journey without those two things um it's just too much for our nervous systems to handle. Mm. Wow. <laughs> I love all that. I think that that first part, do you think that's like the first critical thing to taking that step is to have that false sense of security to research it and do all this stuff and be like, yes, this is the right thing. Because for me, I know uh, my big pivotal moment was riding my bike across the country. Mm-hmm. Dollar in the jar. Uh, I talk about it a lot. Um, <laughs> but I, I spent like a lot. S- a lot. I spent seven <laughs> months researching it making sure I knew how to change a flat, change a tire, change the chain, like got all the equipment. I, I was on like Google streets, like, Oh, if I can't make it to this location, like, could I just sleep on the side of this road? So I'd like go to Google street view and be like, mm, it's just woods. That might be sketchy. But like I planned everything yeah. until like, then I just did it after two weeks. It was like, I don't know what the fuck's going to happen. But since that moment, since that bike trip, I don't do that as much anymore. Mm-hmm. Yes. Calculated risks, mm-hmm. right? I'm not going to jump in a water full of hungry sharks. That would be stupid. Mm-hmm. But um, but it's much easier for me now to go like, yeah, I'm just going to do this because it feels good. And like, yeah, I might fail, whatever. That's fine. Totally. But I don't think I would have had that if I didn't, you know, take that first step of like kind of over preparing. Yeah. Well, you and you taught your body and your brain that when you take risks, you're still safe. Right. Mm, so yes. the first the first preparation you had was you needed that extra support and you needed that extra foundation and security to be able to go after. I call it the whisper of the heart. Um, 
And then every single time we do that more and more, it becomes easier and easier to not have all the calculation, to not have all the support because we trust that there is that thing that's going to be guiding and protecting us no matter what. Mm. Is there, is there any way that you recommend people do that? Like I know Matt and I talk a lot about like ice baths <clears throat> and there are a lot of like health benefits, mm-hmm. but a big reason is mental toughness, right? Mm-hmm. If I can jump, like, I think it was last January, there's snow all over the banks. We went to golden and we jumped in the river for like a minute and that's mm-hmm. like the coldest I've ever been. But it's one of those things that part of the reason I do it is like, that's a hard thing. Mm-hmm. And if I can do that, right. If I can get through a hard workout, if I can do a triathlon, if I, all these other things, then when like my business is going to shit or like stressful things happen in relationships. It's like, Oh, I've done hard things. I can do hard things. So I'm curious if, if, if maybe it's something you do like Mm -hmm. ways to practice, you know, taking risks that are also safe, but maybe, you know, just in your everyday life. Totally. Um, so I have a pretty, uh, my meditation practice is something that I'm very devoted to. It's something where I say that every single morning I get on my mat, whether that's 30 minutes to two hours. Um, And I train my nervous system, I train my mind to be able to expand its container so that it can hold a lot of the things that happen in everyday life. And so what I say, what happens on my mat is a reflection of what happens in my external reality. And so on my mat is where all the fears, all the doubt, all of the, I just let it be and I anchor myself, I bring myself back to the breath and I anchor myself um, every single time. Some meditations I have to anchor myself a hundred times and it's just such a like there's so much and sometimes I'm so still and I just am um but I think that it doesn't have to be through meditation like so many people have different ways where again they push themselves maybe outside of that box they just dip their toe in and then they come back in and they did and that can be through ice bath through exercise that can be you know through so many different types of things um and I know my meditation practice has accelerated it probably super fast um, just because of the devotion and the consistency and knowing what's happening within my nervous system to rewire not only the brain, but also rewire my ner- nervous system so that it can expand and take risks and do the stuff. <laughs> I love that. Another guest, we're talking about meditation. If yeah. you're listening, there's a theme here, folks. <laughs> yeah. And I'm so, I wanted to ask, like, what is it about meditation? You said, like, some people just dip their toe. Maybe you can say another few sentences on this. Like, what does it mean to like dip your toe and, and you're just sitting there, mm-hmm. you know, in your room laying on a mat. Mm-hmm. So what is it like to dip your toe into that and then come mm-hmm. back to safety? So when I first started meditation again, my, like the access of my nervous system wasn't there because of a lot of the trauma that I went through and everything. And so I learned how to dissociate really quick and to not be in the present moment because anything present was unsafe. Like that's how my body was patterned. And so when meditate, when I started my meditation and yoga practice, like it was probably the most terrifying thing because I had to sit still with me and I had to sit still and face all the things that I shoved in the corner to survive. And so when I got on my mat, it was like, actually I was going into, I would have panic attacks. I literally would start shaking and having panic attacks because I didn't know how to be present. And so you know, I, ha- I got a teacher because I think we all need teachers to expand and grow, even when you are a teacher, right? Like I always say that I'm a lifelong student, um, even when I'm when I'm in the teacher role. Like I'll always be a lifelong student. And I need my teachers um, even today. But what I what I was taught was like, all right, start with a consistent practice that you know you can commit to and you know you can be successful. Because again, we have to teach our bodies and brains that it can trust us, especially for me because I like – 
distrusted my body so much. I abandoned myself so much. And so I just started with a practice for one minute every single day sitting on the mat. First thing I did, I woke up one minute, just get on my mat, be there. For, and then once the timer one minute went off, then I would try to see if I could stay maybe 10 seconds more, 15 seconds more. And I did that for about 40, 50 days of just every single minute consistently showing up and starting to build that relationship with myself and access presence. And then throughout the years, that one minute turned to 30, um, turned to an hour. Um, I had a two-hour um, devotional practice for 40 days where I saw myself so intimately. I saw all the patterns. I saw all the edges within within that practice because you want to get up. You want, you're thinking about this, that, like all these things, and you still have to show up. And so I think that when after I did that 40-day practice, that was about six months ago, my life expanded so much and things started opening doors started opening like and I really attribute a lot of it to that practice I really like this because um I try to get to like 20 minutes of meditation mm -hmm. lately I've been like I don't have time for that mm -hmm. and hearing you say like oh my god to sit for two hours I'm less worried about the just sitting there more fact that like I don't have time for that mm -hmm. and I would imagine a lot of people are thinking the same thing two hours a day like you got shit to do. And that's the point, right? Mm -hmm. That we're so trained to, um, I think we've talked about this before and I've heard this from Joe DeSena where it's mm -hmm. like, we're just so addicted to feeling stressed. Did mm -hmm. I say that right? Dispenza. Dispenza. <laughs> I Joe got you Spartan, <laughs> Joe Spartan, right? the Spartan race guy. Yeah. I always do that. Um, <laughs> he probably meditates though. I'm sure he, he definitely does. does. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Um, we're addicted to like, to the stress. Cause that's what we're used to. That's you're talking about the, like the rewiring the brain to, yeah. Um, like you had the panic attacks cause you are so far from sitting alone, even for like 10 seconds. Totally. Um, I don't know. It just, I think maybe I'm asking for some coaching, but to, I'm like, a, I'm hearing you do this. I'm like, that'd be great. 45 days, two hours every single day. But I'm like, but I got this business to run. I got stuff to do. Totally. So what the hell's my problem? Yeah. What am I so afraid of Teresa? Um, I mean, that was my, <laughs> like when I committed to that practice for my teacher, um, so much fear arose. Every possible thought that my ego could create of why I shouldn't do it was there presented in front of me. And I just remember being so overwhelmed and me like, how am I going to do this? Like, I know I'm going to fail. Like, what if I do two days and like, I miss the other day. Do I have to like start over? Like all of this stuff. And I just remember again, that inner voice, that like whisper of the heart, like it was so in alignment with like my truest being that I was like, you know, this is the priority in my life right now. Like the next 40 days work is not a priority this is a priority because I know this is going to flow into every aspect of my life. It's going to flow into work. It's going to flow into relationships. But like, if you want it, if there's a will, there's a way, right? Like you will commit and you will make the time, but it's like our egos will convince ourselves out of wanting that because it's too, it's too scary or it's too much. And so again, having that community, having a teacher when those times would be up and I'm on day five or day 20 and I'm like, I'm going to quit is like when I had to have accountability and reach out and ask and come back to that um, truth, which is like, this is what I'm doing. And um, I always say that discipline turns into devotion. Mm. And so I never want to do something where I constantly feel like I'm grinding, I'm pushing, but I also know that in the beginning, that's usually how it is. But that discipline will s turn into devotion soon enough because you'll see the effects that it has externally and also internally. And you're going to wake up excited to do it every single day. Um, 
and also there's different seasons of life. You know, like that was a season of my life where I had two hours, where I was really committed. And right now it is not a season in my life where I'm having a two hour meditation practice. It is a 20 minute every single day, um, showing up on my mat and connecting, but and that's just the season I'm, I'm in right now, and that will change too. I will have another se- season of deeper devotion and being okay with the fluxes of life um, and all that. I, I had this thought when I was running about the seasons of life. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm going to table that because uh, uh, that would be another 20 minutes. But uh, can I ask one more question? Then I know, Taylor, you're dying to ask questions. But uh, final question on the meditation. You said after these 45 days, two hours of meditation, doors opened up for you. Mm-hmm. Can you tell me specifically what happened? Totally. So I, that was, I committed to my practice in November of last year. So, um, and it was, it was about a little over, almost like two months of the the practice. And um, what I saw after, who I was before that was someone who, again, was doing the things to do the things, creating the business, stepping in there. But there was so much insecurity. There was so much doubt. There was so much. Uh, uncomfortability with myself um, and then with others like I'm definitely someone who struggles with social anxiety that's always been a thing for me Um, and I noticed like in before I started the practice there was that grasping that reaching oh I need a new group of friends I just need to thrive and I'll feel okay oh I just need to hit these numbers in my business and everything's going to be okay and there was really a lot of that like grasping energy and then after I did this practice it was such surrender to just the flow of life and such deep trust where I was just like so connected to myself and so connected to this flow, whatever you want to call it, of the universe that I just let go and I let that take the lead and all of these doors started opening without me even having to do anything, like just getting asked to teach in all these different places, clients just like flowing in, Um, you know, just me being able to like build strong relationships and friendships without even expecting it. Like it just came in and I was like, whoa, like this is the beauty and the magic of when we devote ourselves to practices. And again, it doesn't have to be meditation, but if the one thing that I do with my clients that I say, if you're going to take anything out of my coaching is that every single day you take five minutes in the morning to meet yourself the first thing, because the energy in the morning is the most potent energy of the day. And so if we're giving it away to our email, if we're giving it away to our phone, if we're giving it away to anything, like that is the, the most beautiful energy. And so if you're going to do anything for the rest of your life, it is spending that first five minutes to meet your soul, to meet yourself. And the rest will slowly fall into place. I fucking love it. <laughs> Mic drop. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I love what you, the, the thing too, is you didn't start with two hours. Mm-hmm. You started with a minute. Mm-hmm. And this is like, it's funny to me how this is one of the things that I end up working all my clients with is meditation, journaling, mm-hmm. breath work, morning routine. And I work with a lot of like business people who it's like, there's a lot of resistance. I can kind of see their eyes gloss over a little bit when we start talking to this about this stuff. Cause they're like, uh, help me with productivity, help me with communication. And then I'm like, we're going to talk about meditation today. And they're like, uh, but it, it's funny because it, it's so powerful. And what I found the biggest problem is people don't know where to start or they mm-hmm. think they're not good at it. But it's like, if you're going to start running, you're not going to run a marathon day one. Mm-hmm. You're going to run for five minutes or whatever, um, which which I think is crucial. And I, I love what you said about starting your day. And, and it's funny, the people who do follow it, my clients that do follow it, actually, they're like, wow, this is my amazing. My mornings are so good. And I'm like, yeah, this stuff works. Um, so I'm curious 
kind of just tying, tying up this conversation. I recently have told, talked to a lot of people and it's like, if I look the past two years of my life, journaling and meditation have dramatically changed my life, Mm -hmm. but I have trouble conveying how or why, like if you were to talk to someone who's maybe not in this space or not like, cause I think we have a lot of conversations with people who are on track with this. Mm -hmm. Um, but people who maybe this is a new idea, journaling, meditation. And it's like, you know, do you have a concise way of like, what are the benefits? Like, how would you convince someone? I, I was going to ask the same thing. Cause I'm like, you're saying all this stuff, all oh, the doors opened up when I just, mm-hmm. you know, you, you said, let go so many times, let yeah. it be all that stuff. Um, for somebody to hear this and just go bullshit. Like, no, it's there, not going to work for me 100%. or yeah, oh, like, I'm gonna the doors do, open. What do you have an electrical door? Like, yeah. well, like, Oh, I'm going to do nothing. Yeah. Quote unquote, nothing and meditate in the morning and all the things I want are going to happen. Like, yeah. no, I got to put in the work. I got to show up and grind and all that stuff. Yeah. Well, the first thing with that is that it's the expectation that something should be happening that is going to block you from actually being able to receive what's happening. And Mm. so even going in with the expectation of like, oh, if I do X, then this is going to happen already blocks you. Oh, that's my fucking Mm. problem. (laughs) Yeah. I think that's my problem. Letting go of the expectation of the outcome. Um, Which is hard. And again, like a lot of the stuff that I do is incorporating both trauma, spirituality, mindfulness, and all this kind of stuff because like... First, we have to have compassion for ourselves. Like if we don't have compassion for the fact that it's so overwhelming and so hard to even sit on the mat, like we're just going to spiritually bypass. And I see that so much, um, you know, in this in this community of mental health and all that stuff is like really understanding yourself where it's like there's a reason why we can't sit still. There's a reason why it's so difficult. There's a reason why we've adopted these thinking patterns. Um and just starting to slowly have compassion for those parts of us. And in the beginning, like I remember, you know, years ago when I started in the beginning, like I was taught by my teacher, they're like, oh yeah, like this is going to happen. This is going to happen, all these things. And like, I just remember um, doing it because I thought something was going to happen. And that was okay for that, you know, state of consciousness that I was in that moment of like, I was like, oh, if I, if I do a 45 minute practice and like, all this insane stuff is going to happen in my life and I'm going to finally feel okay. Um, and that will, right, like that that grit, that pull um, lasted for a little bit, but then I got drained and I got self-doubt and I got, you know, hit against another wall. And again, I always say that like, we were talking about this um, earlier today is that, you know, every single day we have two choices and we can either choose to take action out of love or choose to take action out of fear. And a lot of my life has been driven out of taking action out of fear. Um, And now I rewire that of like anything I do is because of love. Every single time I work out, you know, I used to abuse my body so much through working out and I only work out to bring more joy in my life. And if I ever see those thoughts come in, because they will, they don't go away, but I'm conscious and aware of them of like, oh, you need to work out because you ate this last night or that. I know in that moment I have to not work out. Like I have all these boundaries with my mind and myself of knowing what's going to help serve me. And again, meditation has allowed me to access that truth. And without pausing, without being still, you won't know yourself deep enough to be able to know how and where you should be taking action out of. I think you've, okay. I wrote down here. I was taking notes. Um, like this is, I said, this is my problem, right? I go in, like I I was kind of going through this, Taylor knows because I text him about it all the time um, through this, like, <laughs> I don't know what to call it, identity crisis or business or what should I do? Uh, I'm, like, stuck. And so then I'd go to the gym. I wouldn't go to work out. I'd, I'd go, like, swim, mm-hmm. sit in the hot tub, go to the sauna. And when I'm in the sauna, I'm, like, 
cool, I can spend this time to meditate because it will fix me. Mm-hmm. And I think that's going in with the wrong, that's kind of more the fear. Mm. I think that what you're talking about as opposed to, um, I don't know how to articulate it. I think you did a great job articulating yeah. it. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's like I was just doing it because I'm like, I need to do this, like meditate, it'll fix me. And then I had this moment where I was in the hot tub, I'm like, Stop fucking meditating, dude. Like this is you're not like I could feel it, and I don't think I just knew why. I don't think I was conscious to it, but I was just like, you're you're meditating. Like it, it felt like work. Yeah, and you said something key. You said I was doing it to fix me. Yeah, and like, and and every single human walking this earth feels like there's a part of them that's not enough, that they don't have enough, they're not doing enough, that's broken, and so we're programmed as a society with everything that we're being, you know, thrown at, whether it's social media, whether it's you know, anything that we are lacking. And I think a lot of my work, and again, I'm, I'm there, but it's a conscious decision every single day to remember my wholeness, to remember our truth, because we all are enough in this moment, but we forget because of how we live, because of how the part of being human. And so I think like, again, through meditation, you can explore how that wholeness has always been there and it and it's already within and you don't need to do anything fix anything change anything because you already are it right now in this moment you are exactly where you need to be you are who you need to to do be uh, like all the things and there's always room for improvement like i always say the difference between um you know greatness and perfection like perfection is when you feel that there's a lack within that you feel like you don't have something that you need to do and that you need external validation to feel that wholeness and striving for greatness is when you already know you're whole, but you just want to be a better person every single day. Mm -hmm. And so I try to like strive for greatness instead of being perfect. And again, every single day um, I come up to those walls within myself, but I always choose to believe even if I don't believe. Yeah. I I love that a lot because I think that's, that's the great struggle for me. I feel like mm-hmm. I'm having this new mantra where it's like, um, work, uh, play more, work less. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's that question. I know we have a lot of entrepreneurs who listen where it's like, yeah, but you guys still got to do the shit. Mm-hmm. I still have to show up for my clients. I still have to, for me, like I get clients through social, through social media. I know you don't as much, but mm-hmm. you show up in different ways. So where's the line where like, I am doing enough. Don't work 12 hour days, like mm-hmm. take care of yourself. Um, but like you said, like, I could always do more. I could mm-hmm. take that. So like, where's the line? How do we find that? Mm. Have you ever felt in a moment where just internally it was a fuck yes. And taking that action after that, it just, it wasn't even work. Like, have you ever had an experience like that? The last three days. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's, that's the way we should be living every single day is that, you know, I always say like, and I don't know if I'm allowed to curse, but I've cursed a couple curse. times. Of course. Um, is that, if it's not a fuck yes, it's a fuck no. If I'm compromising any aspects of myself to do something, to be with someone, to whatever it is, like it's not in alignment with my truest being because all of the greatest decisions I came out of my life have been just this internal knowing of like, this is what I need to do. And it's fucking terrifying and it's so scary, but I'm going to take action on it anyways, because I know how true it is to my innermost being. Um, and so for me, like, again, like I, every single day, oh, should I, post more on social media should I do this should I do that and it's the sitting back and being aware of everything that's being presented in front of me and then taking action on what feels in most alignment with me in that moment 
Um, and sometimes it's not a clear, like sometimes it's like sticky and there's things and my ego's coming in and trying to convince me otherwise, but you have the deeper knowing and like in that deeper knowing, that's what I, that's really what I help people in my coaching is access that knowing, accessing that intuition, because from that, everything else kind of falls into place when, when you have that like still ground to always fall back on. Yeah. I, I <laughs> it's, uh, it's the, it's the line I always say, but it's like, do I not like this or am I not good at it yet? Mm-hmm. And it's like, maybe like, how do you, I think the question still might remain where that might just be an excuse. Mm-hmm. I should post more on social media, but Teresa said it doesn't feel good. So I'm not doing it, mm-hmm. but it's like, but maybe this could be the thing that could grow your business. If you just got better at this mm-hmm. or like I work with a lot of personal trainers, I work with all personal trainers mm-hmm. and I know I was one, I would say the same thing. I'm not a salesman. Yeah. I'm not a salesman. So you say, uh, well, sales doesn't feel good to me, so I'm not going to do it. Mm-hmm. But if I actually practice and got good at sales, I could get more clients mm-hmm. and I really want to change people's lives. That's what I really love. Mm-hmm. So if I got better at sales, I could change more lives, mm-hmm. but I don't want to work on getting better at sales because it doesn't feel good right now. Totally. Well, um, real quick, I'm, I'm curious how you would, cause you said in alignment yeah. and I think there's a lot of confusion around that mm-hmm. and like feeling good, not necessarily like I want to do this. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious, like, how would you define alignment? Mm. Because sometimes if I'm, if I'm hearing you correctly, it's like, man, I don't feel like posting on social media or reaching out to clients or whatever it is, but it's like, and and maybe it ties to your deeper why, Mm -hmm. where it's like, sometimes it is like, I don't want to work certain days, but like when you, that, those decisions are in alignment. So that's when I like do things maybe I don't feel in the moment like doing. I don't know if that's fair to say, um, yeah, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Um, so again, our minds are tricky. Like they are so tricky, which is why I tell everyone, like do never believe the thoughts of your minds. Like you are not your mind. You are not your thoughts. You are the awareness of it. You are the one who listens to the thoughts happening. Um, and I'll give an example of like, you know, when I was getting in recovery, you know, from addiction, like my mind told me to drink. It told me you need this to survive. You will not be okay without it. Um, And everything, every cell in my body, like, wanted to pick up the drink. Mm -hmm. And I had to, again, trust someone with a little more knowledge than me because the programs and the patterns of my mind, I, you know, I was taught first thought wrong. First thought, any thought, first thought wrong. And so either talking to someone, um, getting quiet, whatever it is, because back then I didn't have a practice where I could access that stillness. So I needed to trust in people who had what I wanted. If they had what I wanted, then I could trust them until my mind, until I could know the patterns, the way that it comes in to be able, um, to be in control of it. If you want to say, I mean, we're never in control of our mind. There's this one quote that's like, um, you know, uh, our mind is, uh, a terrible master, but a great servant. And so if we can make our minds be our servants in the way of serving us to reach our highest potential, and our best self, that's great. But right now, 90% of us are walking around where our minds are our masters and we're like feeding into it. We're listening too much. Um, and so again, creating that distance, um, whether that's hiring a coach like you guys, right? Like that's what you're here is you're helping someone who wants what you have and who's not there yet. Um, and you can coach them until they can access that inner voice within. I don't know if that kind of. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I think, I mean, I think to an extent it's like 
you, you just got to go with it. Yeah. Right. Like mm-hmm. you're not always going to know. Well, I think there's this something you said when you first started that um, answer to Tara's question was um, you're not your thoughts. You're the, uh, the awareness of the thought, mm-hmm. right? Like um, this is going very deep, but it's like <laughs> when I say raise my hand, mm-hmm. right? I make a decision to raise my hand, mm-hmm. but who made the decision to make that decision? Mm-hmm. Right. And it's like, well, okay, we're going to get real deep here, but, um, but that's just it. You have these, you said it before, like the subconscious thoughts and patterns, mm-hmm. like, yeah, I need this drink. Mm-hmm. You don't fucking need the drink, mm-hmm. but you really believe you need the drink. Totally. So, I mean, really about creating that awareness. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, I don't know, like who's making these decisions? Yeah. Why, why do I think I need this drink so bad? Yeah. And I, I think those are like, when we go back to the, the beginning of the podcast, like those are the deeper questions mm-hmm. where uh, it's like, why do I think mm-hmm. this way? And this is what I deal with my clients and having these beautiful breakthroughs in the first few weeks of my program, getting into the mindset, um, breaking these beliefs mm-hmm. that's like, I'm not a good salesman or whatever. It's like, who, who fucking says mm-hmm. compared to who? I don't have enough knowledge, like as personal trainers, right? I don't have enough knowledge. I need more certifications. I can't help these people. Yeah. Well, you don't have enough knowledge compared to who? Mm-hmm. Who told you that? And just having that awareness. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like we claim so many things as ours that aren't ours, right? And so like um, a lot of my process lately has been like reclaiming the things that I've disowned or forgotten within myself. Because, and that was kind of kind of what we were talking about before, of like, there was somewhere along the line where, Teresa, I picked up a pattern that I'm not enough, that I have to, achievement is success, and if I have achievement and success, I will be loved. And so somewhere down the line, I adopted that as my own, but where did that actually come from? Mm-hmm. Is that mine? And what would my life look like if I wasn't leading my life through that program, that pattern? And again... I always say that we can conceptualize and we can learn all this stuff, but unless we have the experience, unless we have the cellular memory to be able to go back on, it's, it's just in our head and we're trying to get out of our head. We want to have an experience of what it would look like to not be leading life and running life on these programs. Um, and I try to lead people through different experiences, um, not only you know the integration and the coaching knowledge, but having a deep embodied experience of what it's like to truly be connected to your innermost being. Yeah. Okay. I want to, I want to get back onto your story because there's some <laughs> other things that I really want to uncover. So, Oh, do we trail off a little bit? Just, <laughs> just, a, just a tad. It was great though. Um, so you're in Hawaii for 96 days mm-hmm. and then you're, sh- I remember you're telling me you're trying to figure out what's next. Mm-hmm. So talk to me about that. Like you went to Colorado. Mm-hmm. I believe you started studying psychology, mm-hmm. kind of why you made those choices. And then I want to dive into Watson because part of the reason I want to bring this up is you made a lot of decisions that are like, quote unquote, not normal. Yeah. Right. That I think a lot of people would have like, it's not common in our society. So I just want to talk through that because hearing about Watson, we'll, we'll dive into that, but it's, it sounds like the coolest thing ever, but it's like something most people probably wouldn't do. Totally. Yeah. Um, so backstory again, I'm, they tell me I can leave. They tell you a day before you can leave wilderness, like 24 hours before. <laughs> what? So they don't tell. So it's like, again, that act of like, just like surrender or whatever. What um, was that feeling like? Sorry. <laughs> just the. I was so mad. I literally wanted, like, I was just so angry and so mad and like, you know, hated the staff, hated everyone because it's like, it was the first time in my life where I was not in control. And again, like 
we're not in control Mm -hmm. at all, but it's this illusion of control that I feel like brings a lot of suffering because at the end of the day, if I can accept the unknown and I can accept the chaos and randomness of the universe, then that's when I can tap into whatever here, what I'm, whatever I'm here meant to do in this like short amount of time. Um, but it was, it was definitely like, I, I tried to run away. I fought, I resisted, I yelled. Like I was this little sassy little thing who like, like wouldn't take anything. Never could imagine that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and so then, you know, they give you a decision of like, I could go back to my life before I could go back to the school I was at. Um, and you know, that was, that was my plan going in was like, all right, got to get back to, you know, my boyfriend at the time. I got to like get back to school. I got to be on track like this, 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 like that was the whole purpose. And then they come to me and they're like, Hey, so we really like suggest that you do this thing called sober living. And I'm like, what? Like, no, that's not part of the plan. Like I'm not. And they're like, yeah, it's another six months commitment to sobriety and kind of reintegrating back in society and all that kind of stuff. And I was so mad and I was like, no, like there's no fucking way. Like I have this, I need to get back to, like, I don't want, you know, I need to graduate on time. Like all of these little contracts that I had within myself of again, what it would feel to be enough, um, was just being completely thrown out the window. And so they presented this thing of like, you know, we highly suggest you do the sober living because if you go back to the same people, the environment, like most likely you're going to relapse. Most likely you're going to, you know, go back to your old ways of doing things. Um, and I was so resistant to it and every part of my being like did not want to do it. But I knew again, that little tiny inner knowing of like, I know I have to do this. I know I have to go to sober living and it's the last fucking thing I want to do. Um, and so I just did it. Like I, I went here out to Colorado, not knowing anyone. I'm 19 years old. I'm like living on my own for the first time. You know, my parents are going through a divorce and I'm, uh, breaking up with the person who, uh, was like my high school sweetheart, who was like my, um, saving grace at those times. I, everything I knew was now unknown. I was living in a new place and new people and new environment. And again, like we, and Joda Spencer talks about this, but we have to get rid of all of our knowns to be able to know who we are, to step into the unknown. And so that was my first experience of really just having this blank slate to live off and to go off and to create and to do. And it was really hard six months of my life. Um, and that, but I did it. I had an experience of what it was like to be sober for a long period of time, which I never had before. And it just naturally unfolded of like, whoa, my life gets a lot better, better when I'm not using, when I'm not, um, you know, coping in these different ways. And like, it was just this inner knowing again of like, I, I don't want to ever pick up again. Like I want to be sober for the rest of my life. Like only, um, good things happen from it. Um, which means that I'm living fully present, right? Like I'm living in the experience where I can't numb out at all. I have to be here. I have to deal with those uncomfortable feelings. Um, but that's a conscious choice that I make every single day. Um, and then from that, going back, to, I decided to enroll at the University of Colorado at Boulder because I was like, all right, like I love learning. Like I'm just a learner at heart. That's always been, I'm just this curious um, person and decided to go neuroscience because I was like, oh yeah, like neuroscience, I can study the brain and addiction and this, and I can still be a doctor and I can have like this prestigious degree and like all the stuff. Um, so I declared my major as neuro- neuroscience and was taking organic chemistry and all the things. And I was back to where I was at like freshman year where I was just, I was sober this time, didn't have any friends, living on my own, 
doing the thing at 19 um, and just saw like myself in the library for 13 hours a day, my soul was just being crushed and I was so scared and anxious and all that stuff, but I was just doing it, why? Doing it to get the degree, right? Doing the thing that society has taught me to do, which is to get the degree and be successful. And I just like, I was like, this isn't worth it, right? Like this isn't worth it to me and I don't know what I'm gonna do after. Um, but I know I can't keep doing this. Like I always say, I didn't get sober to play small, right? If I'm going to choose to be sober in this lifetime, then like I'm going after and I'm everything because um, it's just not worth it to me. And so um, that night I went home and I prayed and I didn't ha like have any prayer practice or access to spirituality back then, but it was just like I was on my hands and knees again, like facing that wall. And I just like prayed and I was like, okay, like, whatever's out there, like, please help me, like, I can't keep doing this, like, I'm scared, um, and the next day, at one of my, uh, anthropology classes that I was taking as an elective, there was a panelist of people from, um, Africa, and these panelists, uh, were all talking about these nonprofits that they were building, and one was, you know, helping, uh, young girls get their birth certificates so they could have opportunity um, in Ghana. One was building a, a elephant rehabilitation center in Zimbabwe. And it was just, I was like sitting there and I was in tears because it resonated so deeply with me. And I was just like, that is what I want to be doing. Like none of this, like I want to be doing whatever that they're doing. And so I went up to them after class. I went up to one of the girls and was like, hey, like, what is this? Like, where are you guys from? They're like, oh, it's this little like incubator called Watson University up in Chautauqua, um, which is like 10 minutes away from where I was living. And, and I was like, well, what is it? They're like, oh, it's about 25 international students from all over the world who come in to uh, build a nonprofit or for-profit. Um, and she's like, you should apply. The application's due tonight. And I'm just like, what? I was like, this sounds like so cool. Um, and so again, like I'm sitting there in front of my, I have like four hours to complete this like 10 page application where you have to write down your business venture, what you want to do, everything that's happened, like what you want to be able to create for the next two years. And you have to write this essay answering all these questions. And I had no idea, like I 19 at the time, I have no idea what I want to do. I'm just like doing what people are telling me to do because that's what I had at that time. And I'm sitting at, at that paper and like, looking at the questions of like, what change do you want to make in the world? What do you want to do? What do you want to create? And something just goes over me, like something comes over me where everything's just like filling out on paper. And like, I came up with this like insane business idea to help teens uh, do this and that. And it's just like flowing, like all the business, all the systems, everything onto paper. And I was like, whoa, I don't even know where this came from. Um, and then I apply and I get in. <laughs> And I didn't think I was going to get in again. It was a kind of like fuck it, send it moment of like whatever, like I'll do it just because, um, but not thinking I would ever get in, which is exactly what happened with Columbia. And I'm not Columbia. It was like a fuck it, send it moment. Um, but I got in and that's when I had to make a decision. I was like, all right, I can drop out of another college like and, you know, have that or and then try this little incubator thing with 25 students that nobody knows of where nobody's going to know the name and I'm not going to get anywhere in life or like but and so it was this weird thing of like I have to make a decision like do I do the path that I know I'm supposed to do or do I um choose the other thing um and so I took a calculated risk again I told myself I'll do one semester mm. I'll do one semester at Watson and then I'm applying back to CU. Mm -hmm. um, 
which is only a three-month program, one semester at Watson. And so I was like, all right, I'll take three months off, do this thing. Hopefully that will help inform my studies at university. And then I was there and it just felt so in alignment and I was creating and I was learning from all these people from all around the world. And I was like, okay, I'm doing the two years. Um, but again, it's that, it's that thing of like, why not just try and see what happens? Like we're never stuck. We can always pivot and make decisions. Um, but having the courage to be able to do the thing that your heart desires most um, has been something that I've always tried to follow my life of like, I know this is going to be hard, but I have to try it and I can pivot if it doesn't work out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Teresa, I want to jump back into our conversation and you said something. Um, you had to write this essay for Watson. What do you want to do with your life? Mm-hmm. Um, and you wrote in our questionnaire um, that we are at a cross crossroads of finding a way to live in harmony with earth and each other or life will cease to exist as we know it. Can you expand on that? And then I'm, and I'm curious, how does what you're doing help with that problem? Totally. Um, again, this is my beliefs. And so I want to just state that to the audience. Like this is what I believe is true. It doesn't make it right or wrong. This is just from what I know from my experience um, and everything. And so everybody might have a completely different perspective on all of this, which is beautiful and great and so valid. Um, so from my experience, what I believe to be true is that we are seeing how all of these systems, all of these things that have been built for hundreds, thousands of years are no longer working today. Um, and we're seeing the duality that exists between light, good, you know, right, wrong, all that kind of stuff. And there's so much duality that's existing, um, which is part of being human, which is part of being here. Um, However, I really think that this is a pivotal moment in history as we just entered the Aquarian age of either things and systems are going to start breaking down and this could be a great thing or we can resist it and try to control and go back into old ways of living. And so what I really think is that right now, and we see, I see this with the younger generation, which is why I love working with the younger generation is because they're just so attuned and the, they're born for the stuff of where the world is, the trajectory of where everything's going. Um, but I really believe that we either need to learn to live in harmony with the things that are being presented, whether that's technology, right? Like technology is not leaving. Um, technology is going to be in round, uh, round, but if we don't learn to live in harmony with it, if we don't consciously use technology for the betterment of people in the world, like it is something that could be very detrimental to mental health, lives of people and all that kind of stuff. Same thing with what's happening in mother earth and nature. If we don't learn how to live in harmony with the earth, then it's like, I always say that, you know, the earth has been around for about 3.8 billion years. We, human life has only existed on earth for the last 3 million years. And so earth is going to be around whether or not we're here. Um, it knows how to heal itself, right? It has that intelligence of healing, which exists within us, which exists within the world. But unless we know how to align with it, unless we learn how to live in harmony with it, we are just things are going to change. Things are going to, you know, we we saw it with COVID, like whatever. Um, And so I truly believe that like right now um, is going to be a time where a lot of movement, a lot of change, a lot of shifting, and we need conscious leaders. We need people um, to help with this transition and all that kind of stuff. So again, (laughs) T 
take it or leave it for what it is. This is my beliefs and this helps me with my why of why I do the work that I do. I serve the people that I do um, because I believe this on some sort of level. Yeah, I think there's um, this, we got the metaverse now. Facebook is now the metaverse. And I was reading a post on this, like even Elon Musk, I think this was on Joe Rogan's podcast saying like, we're already cyborgs. Mm -hmm. We can't function without our phones. We like literally can't, people freak out when they don't have their Mm -hmm. phone. Wouldn't know how to get from A to B without directions from Google or Apple, like all this stuff. Now the metaverse um, is talking about this this whole kind of universe where it's like, you know, we had Google had those like Google glasses, which mm-hmm. didn't really take off. But I think that's kind of where it's going, where it's if if we have like our life now, maybe it's 90, 10, mm-hmm. where the 10 percent is technology. It's going to be more 50, 50. Mm-hmm. So do you think you're saying to work with that technology or do you think that's actually potentially dangerous and especially the generation you work with, mm-hmm. um, you know, with suicide rates are up, especially in teens because of social media and stuff. Mm-hmm. So is it harmful to, like you said, technology is not going anywhere. So do we fight it? Do we go with it? Like, I don't know. Do you have thoughts on that? Yeah. I don't think we have the answer yet. I think it's too early on to know what's, and I don't like to like say the words good and bad because again, everything leads us to a choice, a decision, um, that type of thing. But I think it really is too early um, in all of the progression of where everything is going to know what the solution is. And it's going to take people like us, you know, people listening to this podcast um, to be able to be the change that they want to see in the world and to be able to take a problem, a situation, because I'm not equipped to deal with the stuff that's happening with the environment. Like that is not my experience. That is not my strong suit. I do the best I can, but there are people out there who are born as their gift to do that. There are people born to tackle this idea of technology. Um, And so it's me, what I try to do is I try to help people be able to find their gift, what's in alignment, and then have the courage and the action to take that. So I kind of, but again, I think at the end of the day, it's not our responsibility to take on the life's biggest problems right now but it is our responsibility to find our gift what we were born to do and then have the courage to go after it and do it and then with that if everybody was doing that on the planet uh things would you know that harmony would start to occur Mm. i i love that there's something i wrote down earlier that i wanted to circle back to you talked about identity a lot and i feel like this really flows into that and you, I know you talked about like in high school, your identity was big into like, you're a really good athlete. I think you told me you're valedictorian or top of like my class, top yeah, of your yeah. class. Then you went to a really good school, mm-hmm. you know, you played college sports and then I imagine your identity shifted going to mm-hmm. Hawaii and then going to Colorado. And I imagine now your identity, it sounds like you're very rooted and you know who you are mm-hmm. and, and where you show up in the world. And, and it seems like the conversation we've been having, whether it's around meditation or what to do, mm-hmm is all around identity and who, who are people and, you know, finding that and understanding that. And that makes it easy to make this. That's one thing that I teach in my program is we don't talk about it till the last week. Cause mm-hmm. I tell people like, we can't have these conversations mm-hmm. 12 weeks ago. We couldn't have the same conversation, but I asked the question of like, is this an alignment? Cause I help them understand their identity. And when you ask that question, is this an alignment with who I want to become mm-hmm. and where I want to go? And then everything becomes easy. It's not mm-hmm. simple. So sometimes you have to make hard decisions. But I even think this conversation, right, is, you know, do I lean into 
you know, technology, do I stay away from it? It's like, well, where do I show up in that? Mm -hmm. So I'm curious, just your thoughts on identity, you know, how it sounds like that's shifted a lot throughout mm -hmm. your life and, and how do people find that? How do they understand like who they are, where they fit in? And cause I know Matt and I have talked a lot about what you just said. Mm -hmm. Um, like your, your biggest gift to the world is to be unapologetically you. Mm -hmm. And I personally believe that everyone is meant to do some great work. Mm -hmm. They just got to figure out what that is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, it's so funny cause yesterday I'm in class, um, and the question that kept coming up, I kept writing on my paper, who am I? Like, who am I? Who am I? And I was like, you know, asking the teacher and all this kind of stuff. And it's a question that I ponder every single day. I don't think I know who I truly am. I have different, at different stages in my life, I say that I'm at different levels of consciousness, right? So when I was 18, I was at the consciousness of, you know, having to use things outside myself to feel that wholeness. I no longer am at that same stage. You know, I'm at a different stage in consciousness where right now it is questioning a lot of those bigger questions. It's, it's testing things, right, of who I truly am. Um, and I don't think we ever know because I constantly think it's changing and shifting over time. But right now in this moment, I sort of have a grasp of who I am or I know I have such a strong value and moral compass that in knowing that, I know how to take action or I know what to do. I know who to surround myself with because it's in alignment with my values and my morals. Um, and so if I do something that's outside of that, because that does happen, right? That's the part of learning. Like I always say that like, you know, we're little kids. Like we're always little kids at heart, just like testing things and picking up things and trying things out to have that experience, right? Like w our souls crave the experience of learning and, lear and, and doing things out of, you know, right, wrong, whatever it is. And that's why I always say there's no right or wrong because it's eventually you're going to get some deeper understanding. You're going to grow from it or you're not. Mm -hmm. um, and that's okay too. So mm -hmm. I think with identity, it's knowing what, who, like what your value system is and your morals and um, taking, leading your life through that in a sense. But it's a very hard question that I definitely ponder every single day um <laughs> okay i i like that so how how do people figure that out their their moral compass yeah. their value system like what are some and and part of the reason i ask that is because like i think all of us collectively come from you know matt always says this you're born into a cult mm -hmm. a cult of your parents beliefs the school system you grew up in the people around you so throughout our lifetime there's a lot of unlearning mm -hmm. so i think that's why people get to this point i know i did in my mid twenties of like, who am I? What am I doing? All of a sudden the world didn't look like what I thought it was supposed to look like. Mm -hmm. And I started asking all these questions. So, mm -hmm. so do you have any thoughts on how people can start pondering like what they believe for them, not what other people, what they feel like they should believe? Yeah. I think it comes to awareness, right? It's the awareness of what's happening in this moment. It's the awareness of, Oh wow. I just ate that pint of ice cream at night huh, instead of judging yourself, because I used to judge myself so deeply of like, oh, you n like now you're a horrible person, like this, that, that. But it's now it's like, okay, wow, this is like, a, this is a signal. This is information um, that maybe there is something discoherent happening in my life. Maybe there's a need, an underlining need that's not being met. Therefore, you know, I chose the pint of ice cream. Um, and so I think that awareness of our actions, of our thoughts, will eventually lead us to our identity 
And so cultivating a practice where you can increase your consciousness, increase your awareness of the things and start, because naturally you'll start asking your questions. You'll be like, whoa, like I just got really angry when I was in the car for no reason. Like I just like had anger. I wonder what that is like and not judging yourself for it. Like that's a big thing (laughs) that I'm definitely more prone to do is judge myself for having certain things or doing certain things, but it's just being like curious, like, okay, okay, interesting. Um, let me move on to the next experience, the next thing. I love that. I, um, I've actually been thinking about this a lot lately. Um, it's, it's always starting with the awareness, but, and then from, and asking the question, have the awareness has a question, but then let's start like paving that path for ourselves. Mm-hmm. And we had a great question. Um, Taylor is a guest on my program. Uh, we have these mastermind calls mm-hmm. and, uh, I'm not gonna remember the question offhand, but, uh, one of my clients asked a really great question. I think it was something like, you know, do we have all the answers within us already? Mm-hmm. And really like you said, like, does it take a coach to bring it out or, um, whatever it is. And I kind of arrived at this solution that like, no, we don't, mm-hmm. but we do have the choice to go out and find it and ask the, ask the hard questions and create the awareness and, you know, do the retreat, do the school, do hire a coach, like someone that can help you, um, get to these things. But I think the big point that I arrived at was like, I keep using arrive because I'm about to say it, but we're, we never arrive. Mm. We're never going to arrive. Mm-hmm. So let's enjoy the journey. Mm-hmm. And the best way, in my opinion, what I've found to enjoy the journey is to Nike nails it. Just, just do it. <laughs> and I know you say take these calculated risks, but like, yeah, do the scary thing too. Totally. And like, a, you know, don't, yeah. don't jump in the ocean full of sharks, um, but do the thing that scares you because you're going to get two things. You're either going to get what you wanted, mm-hmm. which is super duper awesome, or you're going to get the lesson you needed. Totally. And that's what we're after so that we can grow and evolve. But if we can just have, I think, have that first awareness that I'm actually never going to arrive. And I love where I'm at right now, right? That's what you were talking about before. Like, I love where I am, and I'm still growing. I'm still learning. I, I can't wait to um, continue to evolve and see what's next. Mm-hmm. And I remember when I learned, like, goal setting from Taylor. Um, goals can change. Mm-hmm. They're supposed to change as you grow and evolve. If you have the same goal you had when you were a 10-year-old kid, mm-hmm. that would be absurd and ridiculous. You'd be like, you know, I want to be an astronaut and a baseball player and all these crazy things, which, um, you know, some of them might be good, but... Uh, some of them might be silly, but as you evolve and grow, you start, hopefully you start to find yourself, um, and, and you can adjust those, um, those values in, in your life and, uh, you can adjust your purpose, mm-hmm. right? Cause my purpose at one point was to be a personal trainer, help people with their health and fitness. And now it's evolved as I've evolved mm-hmm. and like, that's okay. So I think people are putting so much pressure on themselves to arrive at this point. Mm-hmm. And I think we all have seen you sometimes you get to that point and then you just want the next thing totally. you make a hundred thousand dollars now i want two hundred thousand mm-hmm. now i want a million and so if that's not the answer then mm-hmm. like what is and i think it's like to enjoy where you're at right now and you mm-hmm. said that earlier yeah i don't yeah. have a question i'm now i'm just talking <laughs> no i love that <laughs> like um i think right like i always for me, if I'm not laughing 80% of the time and dancing and being weird and being goofy, like, I just don't want it. Like, it's not it's not me, and that's taken a while to be okay to be in joy. Like, I think um, forbo- foreboding joy is a thing that a lot of people struggle with of, like, 
depending on our worthiness within, if we don't think that we deserve good things, good things are not going to happen. Um, and so like, again, like it starts with the inner work. Like it's as simple as that. If like, if we're not doing the inner work, nothing, everything that happens externally is just going to be a projection of what our inner world feels like. Mm -hmm. And so for me, um, my inner world back in the day was there was a lot of clouds. There was a lot of things and the light would peek out and then it would go back in and all this stuff. And so like today where I'm at is like, I truly believe life is just about having fun. Like I've, again, I'm only 25, so people can tell me I'm wrong or not. But for me, it's enjoying, it's experiencing, it's saying yes to what feels good. It's buying that extra ski pass because you want to ski and you know how fun it's going to be. Like, even though financially it might not make sense, just do it. Like those types of things. (laughs) Yeah, like exactly. Yeah. yeah, If you want to keep it in simple terms, it's just, just do what your heart desires. Like just go for it. Um, And then everything else falls into place after that. Oh, this is so good. Uh, Do you know, uh, are you familiar with human design? Yeah. Okay. I've, it keeps coming up for me. Yeah. <laughs> I learned a little bit about it like uh, earlier this summer. And then now I've heard about it like five times again, one of these like coincidences. And I'm like, pay attention to this. And then we have a meeting, the modern happiness crew on Monday about the future of the podcast mm-hmm. and what we're trying to do with this and um, whatnot. And I just sit there and I get so excited about creating, creating these new things. And like I mentioned earlier in the podcast, I have, I've kind of had this existential crisis. I'm like, what do I do next? Mm-hmm. And I'm like thinking about pivoting and all this stuff. And I realized I was listening to this human design episode, which if you don't know what it is, just Google it. Uh, <laughs> we're not, we, I don't know. We can't go into that fully. Maybe we can, but um, you know, I know I'm a, uh, I think I'm a manifest generator, which is mm-hmm. like, we need to Makes be creating sense. things. And I have been in such of this rut because I'm just going through the motions again, where it's like, I have my program. Okay. Mm-hmm. I'm going to post about it. I'm going to do my launch and it's just the same program and it's pretty well developed. Like there's not a ton I can add mm-hmm. until I start overwhelming my clients. So it's like, it's almost like at the best point it could be, uh, besides me just show, showing up mm-hmm. and being a better coach. Um, and I think that's been my like f- huge frustration where, mm-hmm. uh, the other half of me is like, well, don't pivot again because like you've only been doing this for a little over a year. Like people do the same thing for three years and then they start to build it to this half million dollar, million dollar business. Like mm-hmm. you haven't been doing it long enough. So stop pivoting. But, but that's what I want to do. I want to pivot or maybe not pivot, but I need to start creating in another way. Mm-hmm. And after hearing this podcast and sitting down with Taylor and Deuce and we're strategizing about modern happiness, I'm in creation and all of a sudden I'm fired up. And I'm like, this is, and I, I told them I had this realization on our call. I was like, guys, I got to tell you my realization right now. Um, and it's like, that's what I need. That's what feels good for me. That's when I yeah. feel the best is when I'm creating something. So like you said, like what feels good, do it. And not to be like, um, again, it goes back to our conversation um, about like, well, should I you know keep doing what I'm doing? Should I keep doing this for two more years, three more years? It's like, I can do that and I can create something else. Uh, so I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. What is your experience with human design and, and people's different way of approaching that? Because like for me, it's creation mm-hmm. for other people. Probably maybe not. Like you said, learning. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that fits into human design or whatever, but like mm-hmm. you love learning. Mm-hmm. Um, so like to not like hold yourself back from more learning. Totally. Yeah. I don't know too much about human design. I'm a generator. Oh, um, nice. 
I know there's like projector, reflector. Mm-hmm. What are you? I don't know. You this don't know? is new to me. I need to. Uh, <laughs> I bet you're out. a generator, if I'm guessing. But I, I don't. I don't know well enough to, to make a guess <laughs> on Taylor. Um, but I would say, first thing is like, in the past, I didn't know what felt good. Right? It was like, um, I just didn't have the knowledge. I didn't have the awareness. I didn't have the experience of like knowing truly what felt good. So if there's any listeners out there that's like, oh, just follow what feels good. It's like, well, what if you can't access that yet? Like, what if you don't know what feels good? Um, and that's an okay place to be at. Like that is completely fine. Um, and so what I started doing was, you know, again, cultivating a little bit of awareness of like, whoa, when I, you know, had that conversation with that person, like that felt really good. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when I binge watched a Netflix show, like that didn't feel really good. And so I just started really categorizing things as what felt good, what didn't feel good, what's good, what's bad. Um, and did that for about a year because again, I had no, the things that I thought felt good were, there was ties to trauma bonding and it was ties to different things. And so, um, cause your nervous system and your brain will wire in a way to, survive and therefore bad you might tell yourself bad things are actually good things that's what I did a lot bad like this that you know um partaking in this eating disorder like these things felt good in the moment but they actually had like longer consequences and so that radar that internal radar for me was like really really off and so I just slowly had to like dip my toe of like oh this feels good this doesn't feel good and then when I do this then this is what happens or whatever it is and um and I think to your point about like the human design stuff is like, that's a tool to know yourself deeper, right? Like I think that we have tools everywhere um, to just have ways to be, because I see it as like sort of like a path, right? Like the human design is just a path to know yourself deeper or lead you here or that kind of thing. But it's not the full, like I used to put a lot of weight on maybe like tests or this or like mm-hmm. my sign and all that kind of stuff. And yes, it's just a guide. It's a blueprint. It's a map. And then what you do, what you choose to do with that map is either going to make you feel abundant, flourishing, all that kind of stuff or not. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I really like that. And (coughs) I think this is kind of like your example, Matt, of you gave that example of like, oh, I'm going to go meditate because it'll fix me. And what decision do I make? And I know I've gotten there where like I almost know too much now. Mm Where I'm like, oh, this is a sign. But wait, this is a sign. <laughs> but that's a, there's signs everywhere. What do I do? Like, and, and at some point, it's like, just do something. You know, you can't, you can't just like wait forever, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so I really like that. I think that's interesting. Yeah, you, it's a very, very big reoccurring theme here where, I mean, you said it as you were explaining that. You're like, I didn't have the awareness. I didn't have the experience. Mm-hmm. So it's just what you said. Create the awareness and just do it. Go get the experience. Mm-hmm. People are too often waiting for things to come to them Mm -hmm. or when I get this, I will have this. And it's like, you need to, uh, be, well, okay. Totally different conversation, but like becoming the person Mm -hmm. doing the things, then you will have what you want. Totally. Not so be, do have, right. Not have, do be. Mm -hmm. So once I get the money, I can do that. I can donate. I can be this celebrity, this big person who could change lives. And then I will know who I am. Yeah. No, we have to know who we are first. We have to take action on that and then we will have all those things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One thing that keeps coming through is um, this idea of how we relate to the issue is the issue. 
it's not the actual issue, but it's how we relate to it. Mm. And so I think I definitely was like a super doer in the past. I still am. Like I just have that energy of like, I want to create, I want to do, but also the being right. Because I technically don't have to do anything in this moment, but I, how I relate to what I'm doing in this moment is going to create my experience right now. And so even if you're presented with something where maybe you can't do much, but we can change our perception of how we relate to that to have a different experience um, within us, which I think for me has been this past year a lot has been like really pausing and taking a step back and not doing, but just being like, okay, how can I be with this thing that's really uncomfortable and and relate to it differently? Mm. Um, so, yeah. I love that. I, I was recently reading this thing where it's like, think about the person you would like hate to hang out with. And like, why, why do you hate to hang out with that person? It's like, that is your shadow side. That is like yeah. what it's probably something you're avoiding looking at. And I'm like, I don't think I hate to hang out with that, anyone. And then, um, funny enough, this person came into mind and I was like, why do I, why do I, why does that person annoy me so much? And I'm like, Oh, well he, like we, I tried to do some work with him. Uh, he wouldn't listen to me. He think everything he said was right. All this stuff. And I'm like, is that what I, am I doing that? Mm. Do I think I'm always right? Am I like, am I not coachable? And I'm like, I don't think that's true, but uh, I don't know. It's just such a beautiful place to reflect, I think. And mm. I think what you said, like your, um, I'll say it again. Cause I'm not gonna say right. You're how you, how you relate to the issue is the issue. Yes. It's not the actual issue. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So it's like what I tell people, they're so afraid of like, Oh, if I post on Instagram, this person's going to be like, oh, who the fuck are you to do this stuff? Oh, mm-hmm. you know, I, I always give my example where I start talking about mindset and I always think of my brother and mm-hmm. Adam's going to be like, oh, what does Matt know about mindset? My younger brother talking about mindset. Mm-hmm. And it's like, if he actually, let alone get out, getting out of my hood, but if he actually commented that, like, what are you doing on here talking about mindset? Mm-hmm. That would be a reflection of himself mm-hmm. to come out and comment that like, because he's not looking internally or this is just an example. This hasn't happened, right? But it's because uh, he's not focusing on his mindset or um, because I'm pushing the boundaries of things that I'm teaching on Instagram. Uh, maybe he's jealous because he's not doing that because he just has a nine to five. Yeah. Right. Again, just an example. Uh, Adam, if you're listening. Um, <laughs> but 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 that's exactly it. How, totally. you know, when people respond to you or get angry at you for doing something, um, yeah. it's a reflection of themselves. Yeah. Everything's a mirror. Right. Yeah. Everything is a mirror and it's so beautiful right being an intimate relationship especially is like the greatest mirror um it shows us all our deepest insecurities it shows us um all of the light and i and what i believe is that you know if i'm asking myself those questions if something's bothering me it's either a part they either remind me of someone in my past who's maybe hurt or harmed me or it's a part of me that i've unclaimed within myself or it's a part of me that you know, I've disowned that part of whatever, like, I definitely struggle with that on social media. Like, what's my intention behind posting this? Is it to get attention? Is it, you know, or is it to serve? Is it to want? And, you know, it definitely will vary because it's just human need to want to be wanted. It's human need to want to receive attention. And I've definitely rejected that need of like, oh no, that's not like spiritually enlightened or whatever. Um, And I think it's like, again, when I've owned that part of me of like, there's a part of me who just wants to be needed and wants to be loved. And that's okay. That doesn't make me any less of a person. It doesn't make me any less of a human. Um, 
but just like owning that part and then I think yeah like creating doing whatever like we've been talking about um but if we reject parts of us then we reject other parts within other people um and then you can't really have that strong connection that we truly desire yeah yeah we had a a guest early on who said awareness is a superpower Mm -hmm. and I think the key to that is the pause Mm -hmm. you can't have that awareness without pausing which as you were talking earlier I thought of this Viktor Frankl quote which again Mm -hmm. synchro destiny I'm reading two books right now and in both books this quote came up Um, but it's between stimulus and response there is space in that space is our power to choose our response Mm -hmm. in our response lies our growth and our freedom so it's it's like you were talking about you know how we relate to the issue it's like we can also choose our response Mm -hmm. so but again the key to that is being able to pause creating Mm -hmm. creating that space like meditation and other things like that so um i think ultimately like wherever you're at i know like for me personally what's helped is just having that awareness like you said like maybe you don't know what makes you happy okay like let's take time Mm -hmm. to figure out what makes you happy um okay i feel like we could talk forever i do have one last question and uh (laughs) This is kind of just personally for me. I was super curious, so I think other people might be curious as well um, about you being sober mm-hmm. because we recently just did Sober October. Nice. Um, and I think it's interesting because in today's society, it's such a social thing. Like mm-hmm. everything is, you know, dates, parties, like whatever. It's around, you know. So I kind of have two questions. One being like um, – is there a way that's more beneficial for you? Like, pe- like, okay, so we were at a Halloween party, right? Mm-hmm. Obviously, people were drinking. Mm-hmm. I was sober for it. But I, I've never really thought about, like, you know, if you're a sober person, do, are people weird to you about, like, <laughs> oh, no, this isn't – I'm not drinking alcohol. Is it, like – like, is there better things to do, like, to interact with that? Um, and then, too, I'm just curious because this is my own reflection. Like, being sober for a month is, like – and, again, I had, you know, I, it wasn't, like, weird for me, but – I just felt like when I was places, like I needed to hold a drink Mm. and even just going to, you know, a bar and having a non-alcoholic drink just felt like easier, Mm -hmm. you know, or like something in my hand. So I'm just like curious of like maybe people who want to be sober or like just don't want to drink as much. Like, do you have any tips? And then also like on the flip side of like people who are drinking around you, is there like better ways to be around people that are sober? Mm -hmm. Okay. Those are my questions. I love that question. Um, If I, like, I always say like, join them right like like when I'm at a party or when I'm going out or something like I can't like if I resist it right because in the beginning especially my early sobriety this help happened a lot where I was like oh my god they all know I'm sober like Mm. they think that something's wrong with me because I'm sober or I'm not gonna belong I'm not gonna fit in and like all that kind of stuff and that was like a story for a couple years of I just I can't put myself in those situations because the shame Mm -hmm. was too much for me to handle in a sense. Um, And then after doing some of the inner work around the shame and all that kind of stuff, like it starts to expand. Like I always say, like absence is the life of resistance, right? The more that we resist something, the more it's going to persist. And so if I'm resisting um, whatever, like it's just going to show up more in my life. Um, And so, like, now I'm at a place where I just don't give a fuck. Like, people aren't going to – like, not everyone's going to like me. Like I said that earlier, right? People aren't going to like me. People are going to love me. People are going to relate to me. People are going to think, like, listening to the podcast, they're going to be like, what is this chick talking about? Um, But I'm okay with that because I'm okay with me. And so I think, like, when I'm okay with me, it doesn't really matter what people think about me because, like, I know me. And so when I'm at – 
parties and stuff like that, like I love to dance. I love to act silly. I love to just like. Oh yeah, I have to say we were playing. <laughs> we were on a team for beer pong. Yeah. <laughs> playing with water, and it's like. 50 50 you're like busting a move to the new jam and then you're like all right let, let's get some points and it was just like <laughs> there was no in between it was totally. great um and so it's yeah like i think if anybody's in that situation where they're feeling uncomfortable like have an experience of just acting like you're like you're drinking or just like having fun like just act like it and then see what happens because i will most likely what will happen is that you'll start to enjoy yourself and so sometimes i just like fake it until like I become it and then just enjoy it. Mm. Yeah. I love that. That's, that's happened to me at the, at the Dave Matthews concert. I'm like, yeah. I do every song. So it's easy just to dance to him. I'm like, mm -hmm. just dude, when you're like drunk and at a Dave concert normally, cause I've been to like 30, mm -hmm. uh, I'm just like head banging and dancing so hard. I'm like, just do the same thing. Yeah. No one, no one knows. Mm. I even turned the tail at the Halloween party. I'm like, no one knows you're sober. Like, just pretend you're drunk. <laughs> like, just pretend you're wasted and just yeah. dance. Like, no one will know. Just be like, oh, Taylor's being crazy. Well, I think it's, I mean, this is just such a good point for all, our lesson, all aspects of life. We're always so much worried about ourselves than mm -hmm. other people. And Matt, you've said this before. It's like, when you take a group photo, who's the first person you look at? Yourself. Yep. You're not worried about other people. And so those other people aren't worried about you. Um, and it's, it's likely that it's just new to you mm -hmm. if you, like, don't want to have a drink or whatever. So, yeah. Uh, cool. I have one more question with 17 parts to it. Uh, <laughs> just kidding. Um, but just as a summary, because I, was, I, was, I typically don't write this much during podcasts, but uh, I was taking some notes while you were talking. And a few of the things I think that came up a lot um, as far as people like living a happier life, mm -hmm. um, it starts with that awareness mm -hmm. and asking yourself the questions. Uh, this is in no order. Um, Finding coaching, mm -hmm. I know I said first and then I said now, no order. Um, finding coaching, consistency, meditation, mm -hmm. and with that you said, um, you know, if you were to tell your clients one thing, meet yourself every morning mm -hmm. for five minutes. Um, community and having that accountability, um, and then letting go, mm -hmm. which we didn't dive too deep into. What does it mean to let go? Um, but is there anything I'm missing there? Love. Well, oh. Of course. I yes. think yeah. Here, this all do. <laughs> yeah. I wrote love across my paper. Right. I feel like. Draw a heart around it. <laughs> um, that's the energy that should be behind everything. Yeah. And so if you are finding a teacher, if you are meditating, um, asking yourself, like, is that love? Is that fear? Um, and having a choice. Like, you know, every single morning I wake up and some, I ask myself, where do I want to focus my attention and energy for today? And this morning it was love because I know when I'm attuned to the frequency and vibration of love, then it comes more in. But if I'm super frantic and not attuning myself to that, then what's most likely going to come in is me getting mad at the car, me feeling like I have too much work and feeling anxious. And so like really our focus, our attention and our energy is the most precious thing we have and choosing to focus that on joy, happiness, love, whatever it is. Yeah. I love that. I, I used to have this, it's actually really synchronicity with the, with my post today, but I used to have this mantra. Um, I give love everywhere always. Oh, I and that. I've haven't written it down. I haven't said it to myself much. So I'm going to reincorporate that in, um, to my daily practice because mm -hmm. yeah, it's super important and, and it does feel better that way. Mm -hmm. Right. Rather than being angry or fear, but showing up with love. Um, my final question, absolute final question. 
Wow. Is happiness a choice? Thank God. I was about to ask. I, I was waiting for it. Um, yes, it is a choice. I think, again, um, even in all the experiences I went through when I was little, I could have chose to be happy in the midst of all of that. I didn't have access to that perspective yet. I didn't have access to that. But every single day, it's a choice to be happy. Um, and even, you know, I think when when I'm not happy or when I'm feeling discomfort emotions, I can still love myself through that. And that's a choice instead of beating myself up and all that kind of stuff. Um, so I 100% think it's a choice. Despite what external circumstance is happening, you can control your inner world. And that's all we need. Awesome. Love it. Bingo, been, bingo, bongo. Bada bing, bada boom, <laughs> shamalama, ding dong. How about Gadawi? Woo! Uh, any final words, Teresa? Uh, Where can they find you on Instagram? Sorry, or yeah. your coaching. Where can people totally. find you? Um, so you can go to thewarriorwithin.co. Cool. Co. Um, <laughs> uh, to find coaching, join my email list, all that kind of stuff. Um, and then you can go, again, I'm not super on social media, but... Sometimes I am um, to the warrior within uh, Instagram mm -hmm. uh, with two ends because the warrior within was already taken. So the warrior within with two ends. Um, yeah. And I have a bunch of I do free classes um, and stuff like that. So if you email me, inbox me, I can like teach you where to get access to all those links and everything. Hell yeah. Mm -hmm. Awesome. It's been a pleasure, Teresa. Yeah. Uh, definitely a future friendship. I see it happening. I love mm -hmm. this conversation. Well, we'll just do a part two one day. Definitely. <laughs> part two to our hour 40 we'll minute podcast. Shred the mountain, all the things. All the we'll things. do it on the mountain, on the chairlift podcast. No, uh, I actually thought that'd be a six segment, you know, get my GoPro and totally like two minute just podcast. Just ask yeah. people, who am I? The chairlift like, segment. Yeah. Yeah. We'll just go around and ask them. It's happiness choice mm -hmm. on the chairlift. There we totally. go. There's a segment. There's a real. Stay tuned. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Teresa, Taylor, Maddie, I love you guys. I love you all listeners. Love, love. And until next time, yes. peace out. Yes.